This is 88.7 WHCL-FM from Clinton, New York, and this is Finding Dodo. I'm your host, Miyano Sumi. Um, so today's topic I read about in um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's autobiography, which it's not really an autobiography autobiography because it's just like a collection of her speeches, which was not disappointing. Like, it's very interesting, but I wish, like, because it's like her authorized by autobiography, so I wish it was like more story-based, but it was still interesting. Like it gets into a lot of litigation stuff and the role of the Supreme Court and that kind of, all that jazzy stuff. But um, yeah, so I read about like, obviously she is very involved. RBG is very um, a fixture in our society in terms of feminism in the recent sense, like in the late 20th century and on all the work she did litigation-wise to, um, strike down laws that discriminated on the basis of sex which is actually so that's like what got me into my rbg phase this summer was um the movie on the basis of sex which i think it's it stars felicity jones who's like a british actress i'm pretty sure i'm actually not sure but she was i think she's british which is funny because like rbg is like an american icon but whatever um but yeah it's like a great it, oh so the book is called my own words i think or in my words or, or something like that um and I'd recommend it if you want to know more, like, the details about litigation and stuff. But, um, yeah, she's just very... It's interesting because she, her route of activism is is so different from, like, what I think of normally in terms of activism, like, grassroots mobilization and stuff like that. She's definitely a more, like, working within the system kind of person. And I think it depends on where your movement is. Like, if you have a movement where social opinion is ahead of what is decided in courts then you should go to the courts and pick up the slack there um but then if public opinion is not on your side then you have to develop that first and like i guess i've been thinking a lot about what um different movements are and like what state they're at like i think feminism is very far actually i mean i say it's far developed but that is probably because i'm on a college campus too i mean if you look at polls like less than a minority of women identify as feminists and like it's even worse for men it's like 22% of men identify as feminists like the feminism movement has a lot to go but I think that also has to do with like the bad name of feminism like a lot of people would say they support um, gender equality but not necessarily feminism which is necessary but I think feminism it's interesting because it's also like each movement is different and I think feminism or the fight for women is interesting because women occupy every like every every sort of like you can't separate men and women socially as much as for example like racial injustice like some people could live their whole lives without seeing a person of a different race and therefore perpetuate like it's much easier to perpetuate negative stereotypes whereas like a lot of people even people not with it so like men obviously like non-women people <laughs> would still be in contact with women like oh it through like my mother or my sister or my friend um are come into contact with the opposite gender a lot more than perhaps like if you're racially different or economically different then it's a lot easier to just be in our own closed groups and never interact with people from other um other groups within those um like different genres of groupings i guess um but yeah i really oh yeah and i also wanted to do like a quick word on rbg because i don't know might as well we're talking about her um okay this is like a very long introduction into the topic of today but 
whatever. Um, I, I actually, okay, wait, I'm just gonna keep on going. But um, RBG, like, is being held up. Like, there's a lot of reasons to respect her. Um, and she had such a key role in, like, establishing the things that probably I take for granted today. But I think that is why we should respect her. Like, people oftentimes want to tout her and, like, hold her up for respect on the basis of like how nonpartisan she like okay she is very partisan like um or like how much she strives to promote peace and sort of a community and harmony i guess the word is harmony harmony from different sides of the political spectrum and i think people don't understand that that is unique to her position as a judge like on the supreme court the whole point is like for example she was talking about in her book like brown versus uh board of education and i didn't know this but the decision that came down was actually unanimous and that carried a lot of weight so people were like not only did the supreme court rule this way but they unanimously ruled that separate is not equal and is inherently unequal and so that like unity and solidarity within the court is really important and even though she's called the great dissenters and like she writes a lot of dissenting opinions from within the court um she tries to dissent as little as possible and goes along with what the majority thinks and like only dissents when it's really really important because she really values the harmony of the justice and i think that is very important to have in the justice system and i understand that from her perspective but people take that out of context and they're like oh well she kind of serves this too like her like i don't think being friends with Scalia makes you a good person like he is such a horrible horrible human being and like he and it's very sad that she that he passed away like it's always sad when a person passes away but I don't think that makes them exempt from valid criticism like he pushed for the unitary executive theory which was very very harmful to the constitution and like how we see the constitution today and it kind of ties into um like the rock invasion and un unconstitutional wars in other countries like forever wars that are still going on today um and so someone who is involved with that like being friends with them isn't like oh yeah yes people from different sides sides of the spectrum are all friends and that's great like yes like, kumbaya like that's not really i don't know that doesn't make you a good person i think it just makes you a person that separates your like i don't know how she does it though because politics is so personal and it is your values and how your how you what your value system is determines like a, a lot of it is obviously misinformation or like access to the facts and stuff but also a lot of our political opinions come from our political differences come from our different sets of values and like i like okay here's the thing like i would be friends or i have no judgment towards conservatives and conservative people but i think I draw the line at leaders within the conservative moment movement if that is even a movement like it's not really a grassroots thing but like who have explicitly shown a lack of principle and like I draw the line at anyone who shows a lack of principle that includes Bill Clinton who's like he's liberal I'm progressive but he with all the sexual assault charges against him like that's someone that clearly violates basic principles and so I would not want to be friends with him either um and i think the same goes with scalia like he kills a lot of animals too like he was really into trophy hunting which is kind of messed up um and he yeah just like with with his like litigation skills or whatever he did a lot of harmful things too and so 
the idolization of RBG on the basis of how buddy-buddy she was with Scalia is just really sickening because I feel like, yeah, A, it's taken out of context. Like, that was within the context of, I think you should have, you should prioritize harmony more within a Supreme Court, for example, than on, like, every other political fields. Um, But then there's, like, so many other things to respect her for, like, her tireless advocacy for women and civil rights. But yeah, like, she also stresses, like, these less interesting parts of herself. Like, she did an opera with Scalia, and they, like, oh my god, it's in the book, and it's in, like, it's all about, like, oh, we are different, but we are, like, we are together, or whatever like that. Like, those are the lyrics of the opera, and they sang it for them, and she, like, was, she and Scalia were featured in the opera or something. Like, it's just so, so weird. Like, there's so many people, conservatives, that I feel like are principled, and like obviously on an everyday day-to-day like everyday person level like who people like people that aren't politicians for example like that's a totally different conversation but the fact that she was like Scalia like Scalia of all people um yeah I let me see what I wrote down yeah I wrote like for some people it may just be games like politics people write off politics as like it's all just partisan and it's games but like politics decides unfortunately or I don't know, fortunately or unfortunately, whether a person has access to clean water, whether a person can get into college, like these big life decisions are decided by politics and like we should be fighting passionately and I think it should be personal. Like if you're just in it to like get ahead and be famous or powerful or whatever, like you don't deserve to be in politics. Like if you're going to be in politics and commit yourself to that career, like it should be something that speaks to you and is very deeply personal to you and and so, like, just playing it off as, like, oh, I can be friends with people that are, like, I can not be, not just be friends, but, like, go on trips with and, like, be very, like, best friends with someone who is not only on the opposite side of the aisle, but is someone on the opposite side of the aisle that clearly lacks principle. Like, I don't think that is something to hold up as a good example. Okay, anyways, that's my long, long introduction. But, um, yeah, I wanted to, so... Welcome to Dodo History. Today's topic is Victoria Woodhill, who was a woman of many movements, or one might say interests, most notably championing women's rights, um, but also free love, which I'll go into a little bit more, because what does free love mean? What is the free love movement? I had no idea before I researched this. Um, And she was also into economic justice and sort of socialism. Um, You'll see that these other movements actually do tie back to women's rights in some way, though. So when I went into this and like a lot of sources would say like she did this and she did that and like she did so many things throughout her life and she was a con artist at some point so like people bring that up too but it's a lot more complicated than that like she was in a really like her upbringing was like really weird and really difficult and very toxic and these other movements like free love which might seem kind of like radical hippie stuff it more it made I mean it still could there's obviously like people that subscribe to that in today's society but it made even more sense back then with the way so there were so many stringent social restrictions on women so that kind of like ties back to her uh, feminism and she also made a fortune operating a brokerage firm firm on Wall Street and she also started her own newspaper she did these two things with her sister um, Tennessee and but she is most famous for being the first woman to run for president um, in 1872 and 
so her campaign her campaign i mean it, it was just like it was just like a media sensation i'm not sure like how serious of a campaign it was maybe she was serious but um and the 19th amendment for women's suffrage passed in 1919 so this is 47 years before women even got the right to vote so almost half a century before she was already running for the highest office in the land so she obviously did not win but it was a huge media sensation and i have to say like i've covered a lot of people that i've found really interesting in dodo history but i think victoria woodhill is just like the most fat like she just has so many things in her life so this is actually going to be a two-part episode because i couldn't research everything in one week um so i'm actually i'm going to talk about her early life today and sort of up until like before she becomes political and then next episode i'm talking about how she becomes like more politicized how she yeah her this like it's just like her life just had so many crazy elements in it um and she's kind of like i don't want to say insane because i actually agree with like a lot of what she's saying but she is just like a very i don't know like a one woman powerhouse in a good way um so she was going against the grain in all these different ways and she never compromised herself um i feel like she did say if she thought something she would just say it like she would she would like actually print it in her newspaper but like she was very outspoken very opinionated. Um, I can't say that she was the most effective activist, but I think you need someone like her that's just so out there that I think she, in her own way, pushed the overtone window. Like, I think there's, it's kind of like with Bernie Sanders right now, you're seeing like he has pushed the overtone window so much in what we consider normalized in politics and in campaign promises. And because of that, like, you see someone like Elizabeth Warren is doing really... I think she actually... She surpassed Biden. I follow Real Real Clear Politics, their polling data, because they have, like, a pretty graph, so I just follow them. But in that poll, at least, she surpassed him, like, the other day. I think they're, like, hovering around the same... Oh, sorry, I mean, like, Warren passed Biden. I didn't make that clear. But, yeah, Warren... So you see someone... What I'm saying is, like, you see someone like Warren doing so well this time around because um, Sanders push the window so much in 2016 and like and and now like she looks more moderate which like elizabeth warren would never you would never think she would look moderate in any primary but she actually does and then you have someone like like andrew yang who's like out there pushing his universal basic income so he also makes bernie he makes bernie look less radical i think but anyways like i think going back to victoria woodhill but she was like (laughs) in 1870s like she was talking about like i am gonna be a woman president (laughs) and it was like all over her posters too like she wasn't hiding it or anything she was like victoria woodhill first woman like woman president or whatever like that and so um she was like just way way ahead of her time um and i think it takes a lot of courage obviously but a lot of just i think it takes a little bit of craziness and i think it takes um like someone that is not like their values and morals aren't shaped by the society around them like she was a very independent thinker um so yeah today i'm going to talk about her early life uh victoria woodhill was born victoria california claflin they this family has a thing for like naming kids after states like her sister's name was tennessee anyways um on september 23rd 1838 in homer ohio her upbringing has been described as quote impoverished and eccentric 
She was born to Roxana Claflin, that's her mother, and Reuben Claflin, her father. Her mother is said to be an illegitimate daughter, but there's also some documentation that she was from a Dutch Pennsylvania family. Um, her mother was a religious zealot who frequently went to revival meetings and was very, very spiritual. Like, she would go to nearby farms and, like, just pray, and people would be like, what are you doing on my farm? Um, she was just kind of, like, a little insane. Uh, and personality-wise, she seemed to be a very emotional and headstrong person. And it's ironic in, a, in the sense that she probably influenced her own daughter's spirituality. Like, obviously, Victoria becomes, grows into a very spiritual person, but Victoria, like, took her spirituality, and rather than being, like, very orthodox religious, she veered the opposite way, and she became, like, this super radically spiritual person, so that's kind of interesting, but her mom was actually really smart, and she had a really amazing memory, which Victoria inherited, and one source, this was, like, an old New York Times article, so I don't know how accurate it is, but apparently she could even, her mother could recite the Bible backwards, which I don't know whether that shows how smart she was or how religious she was, but probably both. Um, and her father, Reuben Buck Claflin, 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 uh, was a lawyer according to a census, but not so like that's what he reported himself as, but he was actually a con artist and he engaged in theft, arson, and counterfeiting, and he was just, like, a horrible person. He often beat his children as a form of, quote, character building, um, and so this family, this very, like, I don't know, odd family, um, which they had 10 kids, by the way, although only six survived, and so basically the mother, um, Roxana, Roxana, she is just called Anna, but basically Anna was pushing out like a baby every two years for 20 years like it's insane and they lived on a shack on the side of the hill and it was so rickety that the other children in homer would run along the porch their porch to hear the house rattle so they were sort of like the poor family in town like they were the weird family um well not the least because the dad was just like a horrible weird person um in later years apparently she would say like victoria would say she grew up in a nice house with a white picket fence and a garden um so she would kind of mm, airbrush her past um but yeah like her upbringing was actually not nice at all and their house was like old and unpainted and just like a one floor one i think it was one room um, and, but Victoria was actually considered the best one in the family in the sense like she was pretty, she was smart, she was very ambitious, very determined, um, and she only attended school for around three years between the ages of eight and eleven, um, but she was named, nicknamed Queen Victoria for the way she held herself. So despite her family being sort of the laughing stock of town uh, for their poverty, she held herself with a lot of dignity and um, she showed that she was like very ambitious and determined from a young age and she also showed promise as a speaker from when she was very little she would narrate stories from the Bible and also folklore about Native Americans to younger children when she was still young her dad failed on a business run. he had, what was he doing he was he had a windmill and like he didn't succeed he was like a very bad businessman and he wouldn't succeed at any of the legitimate ventures that he was doing so like he was mostly doing illegitimate ventures to make money um and he was not doing well with his windmill so he decided to burn it to the ground to get the insurance money which would have been like hundreds of dollars which was like a lot back then 
Um, but the town had had enough with him and they were going to punish him, but he fled before they could get to him. And he actually left Anna and her six children behind, including Victoria. And the town was actually like, they didn't want the family there, but they were nice enough to fundraise for the family too. They bought them a horse-drawn wagon and supplies to sort of leave, (laughs) um, which is really sad. And so they left and then Buck, the husband, rejoined them, which is like, why would you take back this man? He's so, he's so horrible. Um, and they ended up, I don't want to say leeching, but they were like living on the property. Their eldest daughter, Margaret, had a husband who owned a hotel, and so they were living in there. Um, but yeah, they were still not doing very well. So at the time, there was this mystic fad sweeping through the nation, which was first fueled by the Second uh, Great Awakening. Uh, where, where it's like this religious awakening where ministers would go around and uh, you guys probably know about it but they would go around and give really great speeches actually Hamilton I think Hamilton produced a famous Presbyterian minister around that time too like one of our alums is like a very famous second like a great awakening uh, figure I have to look that up what, we also have a famous abolitionist um, among our alumni which is very cool but also, um, so like people were very much more spiritual around the Second Great Awakening. But also, I thought this was funny. Um, after the invention of the telegram in 1848, it seemed like magic to people at the time that like a thought from one place could transport to the other. Just like, like you can't see it, it just like goes. Um, this electricity. And so people were like, that's like magic. And so there was like this sort of mystic fad that was really popular at the time and so the dad buck decided to capitalize on this by marketing his own daughters victoria and tennessee her younger sister that she was really close to and the one that she would end up starting the wall street firm with and also starting the newspaper with um but yeah he would market these two girls as mediums to the spiritual world and he would sell them like one dollar per visit and so from there on victoria and tennessee ended up being the breadwinners of the family and this is like victoria was like 14 or so and or 15 and her sister was like seven so this is just like child labor and child exploitation and he's also exploiting the customers because like it's not real although apparently like victoria did like but i don't know like apparently she did have these like senses where like one time she sensed that a fire would start and then the fire did start and then um like so it was like in the same place that she thought it would in the same time so they actually thought that she started it even though she didn't um and like there was another thing that but like obviously he was just he, he wasn't doing i don't think he was doing it because he actually was like oh my children are special like he was doing it just to make money and around this time like victoria obviously was like uncomfortable doing this and so he would instill this like brainwasher and instill this belief in her that she did have magical powers and so basically their family was going around on this like family medicine and fortune telling show and the dad was obviously doing all of this but yeah it was a very weird childhood um so she was basically like this this like circus um but when she was only 14 Victoria meets 28-year-old Canning Woodhill, and yes, as you may infer from the name, that would be her future husband, which is so disgusting. Like, it's not even the 14-year age gap because, like, 
I feel like that would make more sense if you're like 70 and 84 or something like that, but she was literally 14 and he was twice her age. Like that is really disgusting. Um, like he's just, oh, that, that's literally, that's like in today's society, that would be a pedophile. Like that's statutory rape. Um, and they were both, Canning Woodhill was a quote unquote doctor, but like at the time, especially where were they? They were in the West. I think they moved. So they moved out of, um, they moved out of Ohio. I think they were in like Iowa or, or Illinois. I think they were in Illinois actually. Um, but he, you didn't have to have a license or training or anything like no background to be a doctor. So he was basically a con artist too. And she met him because he was visiting her dad (laughs) and because like they were both selling like patented medicine which is just like whatever like homegrown thing that they were trying to sell off as a miracle um and so yeah the state of medicine back then was really bad but basically she met him that way and there are some accounts that he abducted her to marry to marry him and then there's some sources that say that she eloped to escape from her like horrible family I don't know what it is, but um, he also may have lied about his connections. He said he, like, knew this guy, but it turned out to be, like, his far distant cousin. Um, So, yeah, sounds like he's a con artist, but um, they married in 1853 when Victoria was turned, like, it was two months after she turned 15, and he turned out to be a womanizer, an alcoholic, and a domestic violence abuser, so he would beat her and she was forced to make ends meet and so she went to San Francisco at one point to be an actress and cigar cigar girl but uh, then she came back and she made money as a medical clairvoyant so basically this is the thing like this is where people are like oh look she was a con artist but like I am very like I wasn't sympathetic to her when I first read that because I was like wow like that's great that she was running for president as a woman in 1872 but like she was a con artist like that's so sketchy like was the woman's like was the um what do you call it the presidential run also just like a media grab that like what is this woman but actually I feel like her feminist part of her and her like presidential run is the more like not real like like what her calling actually was and like this kind of stuff she did before was like really out of necessity because like she had never done what how old was she She was like in her teens she only went to school for three years because like she had to leave because her dad was a con artist and got kicked out of town and then she has only ever been in like her family's circus show and her husband is also a con artist and he might have abducted her and so like the only thing she could turn to was um like she ended up sort of being the same thing like a medical like a um like a like she would claim that she could heal the sick just by touch and like she was like a a medium for spirits and also another defense of her is um she might have also believed that she could do it because her father like instilled that in her when she was very young and yeah they ended up having to move around a lot to escape the law and they would move to like I think they actually moved to Tennessee, which is funny because, like, that's her sister's name. But, yeah, they would move around um, and be... And also, they were running away from people. Like, this woman, like, Tennessee said that she could cure her breast cancer and then she didn't. And so they had to run away from that woman, too. And her husband, like, Canning, became worse and worse. 
and basically abandoned them except except to come home and take money from them. So after having two children, one of whom was born with a disability that Victoria blames on Canning's alcoholism, she divorced him after 12 years of marriage. So what what would that be? That would, she married when they were married when they were 15. And so yeah, so she would be 27 when she divorced. And so that was like a really bad marriage like that's your entire youth like one of the most important years like the most formative years growing up and she was like married to this horrible guy that and she had to like do all these things to make money um so this first marriage and how bad it was was probably a very big influence on her notions of free love so i'm going to talk a little about free love and then that's going to be it for today um but yeah this is like important and it's timely to put it into here because this is around the time that she started developing these notions so um so coming into this i thought it was about because like when i think of free love like that kind of movement today i thought it was going to be about open polyamorous relationships but that's not really what she was talking about it was more about the state like the government not interfering in marital relationships and it was really about like women having the right to their own bodies their own like consent in sexual relations and also um more freedom for women in how they wanted to conduct their affairs like if they want to marry or if they want to divorce um so it was really hard for women back then to divorce even in really extreme cases like domestic abuse and um woodhill writes yeah and then free love was also about what the women having more of a role in consent and so woodhill writes to woman quote to woman by nature belongs the right of sexual determination when the instinct is aroused in her then and then only should uh, commerce follow when woman rises from sexual slavery to sexual freedom into the ownership and control of her sexual organs a man is obliged to respect this freedom and only then will this instinct become pure and holy so she was saying talking about sex is like this it has to be mutual or else it's not it's like it's rape which is obviously makes a lot of sense now um but honestly like we even struggle with this today like some people are confused oh if a person is is incapacitated like if they're asleep or if they're drunk or something like that then it's not rape like no no that is that is rape that is sexual assault um actually interesting fact like the original sleeping beauty (laughs) is so dark because it's actually like okay the original story of sleeping beauty is that the guy like she pricks her finger and then she falls asleep and then she's like in her castle and then the prince comes and rapes her like it doesn't say it in the fairy tale it's like oh and then he like impregnates her but i'm like she is knocked out in like this 500 year sleep like that is rape and he okay so he impregnates like rapes her and then he runs off and goes back to his kingdom where he has a wife by the way and then she um gives birth to these two babies while she is still unconscious (laughs) from the sleep and then one of the babies is trying to like suckle her and so they're sucking on one of them like suck sucks her finger and then sucks out the needle like the spinning wheel needle and then she comes awake and then she's like oh my god like i have two children i have two babies what the heck and then the prince comes back and he's like oh you're awake now and like i'm in love with you and she's like oh i'm in love with you too like it's so weird and like 
okay that's just a story but like just to put into context the kind of the kind of path that we've had to traverse to come to today where like we're actually talking about me too and sexual assault like that kind of stuff was i mean okay so that story is from like the medieval ages and obviously stuff has progressed since then to come to woodhill's age but like i'm guessing even in victoria's age victoria woodhill's age like consent was not what we think of as today like it was not given value and so yeah so she basically she emphasized the importance of consent in a feminist context for women because especially yeah especially for women because she talked about how like women generally can be physically overpowered by men and so it's important that women especially have this right i mean i don't i agree like physically yes but i mean obviously today we want to emphasize that like sexual assault can happen to anyone and it can happen like women on men i mean although statistically it's like 90 percent done by men and i think like over 90 percent of victims are women but um i mean it's still important to emphasize like it can happen to anyone and and it also i feel like it's more likely under men to be underreported um because like men i know depression is underreported too i'm pretty sure so anyways like she would also later explain free love in this way this is the last quote um quote this was like in a speech quote yes i'm a free lover i have an inalienable inalienable constitutional and natural right to love whom i may to love as long or as short a period as i can to change that love every day if i please and with that right neither you nor any law you can frame have any right to interfere i mean i agree that it's an inalienable and natural right but i'm not sure if it's a constitutional right um because the constitution was like written by and for rich white men so i don't know but like i definitely think that that is if we could have like a constitutional amendment that would be um interesting okay yeah this was also really interesting to me because it is very easily like the first thing that came to my mind was the lgbtq movement because she talks about like i have a right to love whom i may um but yeah in general this also made me think about like it is kind of weird because i i just I, i guess i don't really think about this like as in how our relationships are formalized and governed and it is kind of weird if you think about it that the government interferes so much with our personal lives like it's true that you kind of need regulations like if you are married then you can see someone like you can visit the hospital or like they notify you when something bad happens or something like that but i feel like there's other ways to do that like you could just have an emergency contact and file that and there is no reason for the government to be as involved with marriage as it is today and it's also ironic that the people that are always asking the government to not interfere and get off our backs like generally the conservative side when it comes to deeply personal matters like who to marry the conservative side is the side that is saying like the government should intervene or whatever and i guess now that's a little different because now you have legal cases where same-sex couples are trying to like before you had people trying to be able to marry and now you have cases about like how much federal protection they can they deserve or they constitutionally have which is like like i'm thinking about the case with the cake maker who refused to make a cake for the same-sex couple and their wedding but um but definitely for the cases before like not the defense of same-sex same-sex couples but the legalization of it like before you had couples and this is like for same-sex couples and also for by multiracial couples um they were thrown in jail for being found together and it's like that is so weird to me because like especially if you're conservative like 
what wh- why is it the government's business like who i want to be with um but yeah honestly even today like 200 i guess like 150 years later victoria would be on the liberal end of things like reading her is like reading some college student who's majoring in women and gender studies like that kind of like very liberal person like she's i think she's progressive even for today's time and so it was absolutely heretical what she was saying back then um like she even wanted the legalization of prostitution because it i think because it would give more protection to women in the industry um however like she changed sort of later on in life um she always espoused monogamy but this intensified later on and she would begin to stress like motherhood and purity and christianity rather than like her sort of radical spirituality but i wouldn't say that she changed to like she would even say like the stuff that was written before wasn't actually written by her which i don't think like scholars say that's probably not true but um i don't think she changed that much because she was always supportive of monogamy she just wanted more freedom as to like if she wants to divorce she should be allowed to divorce like it's and and also the gender skew of that and like how men could get away with so much in a marriage and and like women like if they did the same thing they would be punished and when men do it like the women can't even divorce or leave the husband um and so yeah i feel like this free this free love thing it sounds sort of like hooky and um like very liberal but i think it ties back to the state of oppression that women were under in the 1800s like because i think like yeah because also also actually this is important because like today when you think of as like why is marriage and divorce so important it's like it was even more important back then because when you married your property became your husband's like you didn't the woman even if she earned money like it would all go to the husband so that makes it even worse especially like and i think that's why when people like i'm actually very sympathetic to the temperance movement i know people make fun of like what amendment is it this 17th 18th something like that um i think it's the 18th um and saying like oh that's so silly like the government is such a nanny state and i see that but i think people also are not paying attention to the historical context within which that was written was like in a sense that was feminist literature like that was a feminist movement as in like women were absorbing the brunt of the costs of alcoholism and the fact that like and and they were getting like beaten and and like their livelihoods like they could work but it would still go to the husband and like marriage and the fact that like a lot of husbands were alcoholic was a really big societal and feminist issue i mean they weren't using the word feminist but feminist issue for women in the 1800s and so like the fact that it's it's like it's not really about like free state versus um prohibiting certain items it's more about like protection of women although like obviously today i wouldn't support that like i'm not sure i think actually men still do have higher rates of alcoholism which is kind of sad if anything like i think it's used as like a self-medication for depression which is really not good and it shows like men are victims of misogynist society as well um but yeah i think that historical context is important so next week i will be talking about wow that took 50 minutes wow see i'm telling you her life is so interesting but next week i'll be talking about 
her second marriage so she's divorced now but she marries again actually a year later too um and then he kind of introduces her to like other progressive circles but she does like so much on her own like i wouldn't say it was like her husband at all and she becomes like um a wall street broker and she's super successful and she has ties to vanderbilt um who's like a really famous tycoon in the 1800s and then she starts her uh newspaper which is like this radical social justice newspaper and then she runs for president and like she just goes up and down like she loses her fortune she gains her fortune like she loses her fortune again um and then at the end i kind of want to talk about like is she a hero like what kind of she's a very complicated person like what was her psychology behind what she did so yeah <clears throat> i'm gonna just play a couple of songs now uh thanks for listening